welcome to On The Mic. I'm Jake Galeen. Today's special guest is Ben Campbell. Ben's a touring professional from New Zealand. He's a 28-year-old with a fair CV, so I'm just going to list a couple of little things he's been able to achieve so far in his career. He was tied second New Zealand Open in 2017, tied second Bangladesh Open on the Asian Tour in 2018. He won the New Zealand PGA in 2018 and also runner-up in 2017. So you obviously enjoy that uh, tournament, Benny. Uh, tied third Fiji International in 2018. That's a European Tour event. So that was a great little tick off there. And has made it as high as 277 in the world golf rankings. So, and not to mention all-around good guy. So welcome to the show. Benny, good to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now it's good to good finally catch up again. It's been a few while. It has, mate. It has. I uh, hope you've been well. What have you been up to in shutdown? What's how's that affected you? Oh yeah, haven't been up to too much really. It's been um, yeah, sort of five weeks and not doing a whole lot. So um, yeah, no, we're sort of ticking along, doing a few things, and um, yeah, no, it's sort of we're just going back to level three now, so we can finally get out and sort of do a little bit more now, and um, yeah, hopefully this afternoon get out and play a little bit of golf. So. Yeah, she's been uh, she's been a pretty quiet five weeks though. It's good to see you out. Where, where's your home course over there? Where, where are you situated? I'm uh, I'm down in Queenstown, so Millbrook's my home course. Oh yeah. Um, yes, so sort of where where the New Zealand Opens hosted a lot of the time, and um, yeah, no, so it's yeah, like it's great to be able to you know have, have the training practice facilities that we have here, and um, yeah, it's sort of we've only got a couple more months until it gets pretty cold here, so make the most of it before uh yeah before winter hits yeah as you can see i'm rugged up too it's like uh i think it's about five degrees here today in melbourne um so it's already started here so <laughs> yeah it's um make sure you get out there before it gets too cold over there mate yeah yeah definitely no we were we had, a couple of weeks ago we had a massive um sort of dump of snow so it's uh yeah it's not far away and yeah it gets really chilly here so like jack's point that closes up for uh sort of three or four months over winter and um, right right and that's uh yeah it's it sort of gets a little bit limited but yeah normally i'm up in asia so it's it, you know you come home for a week or something like that in winter and that's about all you all you have but um yeah so i don't know what i'll do this year yeah, the um, uh, look, I've talked to a couple of guys now and uh, Christchurch in New Zealand seems to be one of their favourite spots, if not their best favourite spot of all in the world. So obviously you're lucky being in that situation where you, your hometown and your home club is there. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. I sort of moved down here maybe five years ago from um, from the North Island. But yeah, the winters here, they, they are cold and everything, but we don't we hardly get any rain, so it's not... Is sort of makes up for it you can still get out and do a few things and um yeah like it's i love living here there's some amazing you know things to do outside of golf some amazing golf courses and, and everything mm. like that so it, it makes for yeah sort of my well yeah perfect world down here really yeah nice mate and uh you mentioned asian tour so obviously you've got a card in asia and on uh, the australasian tour is that is that right since last time we spoke yeah yeah, and I've um, been playing Asia for the last couple of years. And I sort of, when I first turned pro, played up there quite a bit through a few invites and things like that. So, mm. um, yeah, between that and Australia, I've spent um, spent quite a bit of time. I've spent a bit in America and, um, yeah, really keen to sort of try and give Europe a crack and, and get over there and um, sort of after a few of these sort of niggling injuries, get on top of them. And then, um, yeah, no, I've been close to Europe a couple of times. So it'd be good to, to finally get there. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the injuries in a sec. Um, with the Asian Tour, any word on when you're going to be able to get back playing? Is there any dates or anything being put forward yet? No, nothing really. I saw, we had an email the other day that was sort of saying maybe September, October, but wow. I can't see, even if they open that up, New Zealand's going uh, to be pretty strict on travel. So if, sure, um, sure. I'm not too sure even if I'd be allowed to get up there and especially if I got up there, you know, to be able to come home. So I know, um, yeah, New Zealand will probably have some of the strictest sort of travel conditions out of anyone in the world. So um, I'm still sort of with the injuries and that anyway, I'd be probably not too sure even if I'd be ready to play by then anyway at the best. So for me, I've already sort of penciled in getting a medical exemption. So yeah, but for Asia, I'd, I'd say at earliest it would be that. Sure. And look, I don't want to harp on it because obviously it can be seen as a negative thing with all your injuries and all, all that you've gone through the last probably 10 years. Um, I know that you had some injury issues back 2009, 10, 11, when I was, I was with you, uh, when I knew you back then at Yarra Yarra. Um, but I think it's a testament to your mental and physical ability to, to get back up and go again. Um, so talk me through that because uh, to me, I see you as a very uh, obviously mentally strong and obviously got a love for the game to be able to come back time after time after your injury. So talk me through when the injury started and, and is it something to do with golf or is it your body? Is it just your body failing all the time? Or tell us, talk us through that sort of scenario. Yeah, I've sort of had three random injuries. Um, yeah. The first one was my, was my foot, which was like yeah, yeah, where um, I had this random growth on the inside of my left big toe. Right. I just couldn't put any pressure on it and they thought they cut they just thought it was ingrown toenail to start with and did that and it turns out I had like a bone growth coming out the side of my foot so I got that operated on the first time and it grew back even quicker the second time and then um, yeah got back playing a couple of years and sort of just hit started hitting my straps and I had, had this random chest injury in my I was uh, I just got back from Indonesia and was playing a small event in New Zealand and my chest just blew up massive like huge and um, I went straight what? to hospital. What in Asia? And, just inflammation, just all of a sudden. Um, no, know? I was back. I just got back from Indonesian Open, and I was in New, in Auckland, staying at a friend's place. And I got walked out out of the mirror, and like, just out of the shower, and looked in the mirror, and I was like, "Whoa, my god!" And it was like huge. Whoa! And um, just one side. Like, I mean, just one side, and it was over my left, so it was like over my heart and everything. So right. they were pretty worried. And um, yeah, I sort of went to hospital, spent a night in hospital and spent a day in there and they couldn't, like, there was a lot of fluid in there, but they couldn't find one sort of bag of fluid to drain or anything and put me on a lot of anti-inflammatories and things like that Mm -hmm. and went down and I had this for like 18 months and saw so many doctors and and things like that. And it was, was the the swelling went down, but then I, I was really fatigued all the time and Mm. yeah saw everyone and I'd get back playing and then it would sort of flare up a little bit again and it would yeah. just like sort of be sore and things like that and um yeah so I saw a lot of people I ended up sort of going on a massive stint of antibiotics mm-hmm. and um yeah they think that I had some whether I picked up in Asia I was living in America at the time um so they're not too sure whether it was like a whether I had sort of a tick bite or whether a mosquito or something can, and picked up something random from Asia that, you know, there's a lot of things up in Asia that 
people don't even have a name for sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's all better so, now though. So it's all good now? Yeah, I had the chess thing and then sort of had a, started off playing 2018 really well. And I was yeah. in Bangladesh of all places. And it was in sort of uh, May, I think, yeah. And when I was playing in Bangladesh, I actually ended up finishing second there. But I was doing a stretch. I got off the plane the night before and woke up that morning pretty stiff. And, and that went and just was running, went on the bike and just running through my normal sort of warm-up routine and just did the stretch and my back sort of hip just went bang. And I was like on my knees in the gym, sort of like, you know, when people talk about their back going. Yeah. And um, yeah, ever since then, I've sort of had this real niggle and sort of 2000 and I tried to play 2018. I was scheduled to have an operation in November, I think I was, for 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 my hip, which I've ended up getting that operation. But um, yeah, so no, she's been a pretty crazy few um, few years. So yeah, 2019 was very limited play for me. I sort of, at the end of the year, I sort of stepped right away and sort of looked at how I could fix it and get back to it. So yeah, I've got a S5, I think S5, I've got a torn, torn disc there. So, um, which they think is caused from, I had a, I've got a late, I had a label tear in my hip and I had very limited internal hip rotation. So for golf, I was putting so much pressure on my back and I right. think, Right, my back caused my hips. So yeah, sure. Right, I'm with we've you. We've got the hip fix. Yeah, we've got the hip fix now, but the back's still not quite right. So right. I'm uh, I'm waiting to get an injection into my back. Do you take it on as a bit of a challenge, or do you obviously you've got to have a negative response to it initially, and then how do you take it on and come back time after time after these little injuries and bad luck sort of scenarios? How does it go and go with your mental side? Yeah, you just sort of chug away I think and yeah, yeah I don't know I remember the first time that I was one of the first time I ever played up in Asia I got an invite and, and played up there and I remember I missed the cut and I was headless and I sort of remember being on the bus and just being a sook really and <laughs> like I just missed the cut well yeah you're gonna have missed many more sort of thing and I remember looking outside and like looking and thinking shoot my life's not that bad compared to a lot of other people and yeah I don't know I just sort of think like that you know it's um you're very lucky to sort of, I suppose, live in the countries we do and, mm-hmm. and you know, play sport for a living and, and things like that. So it's, um, yeah, I don't, you, you know, don't get me wrong, there's definitely been times where it's been tough and that I've thought or, or I've had people tell me that I can't play golf again sort of thing. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things where you just keep waking up every day and trying every day you just try and keep getting better sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I know that perspective, mate, because I, I spent a year up in Myanmar. So. Yeah. Look, I, I want to touch on your amateur career to start with um, because, uh, you know, you reached number one uh, amateur uh, for New Zealand back in, I think, 2011, if correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, you've got a stellar career, mate, because I, I went through your record and you, your 2011 season, you had 11 top 10s. Now, you only played, I think, 17 events. So <laughs> I'm not sure if you even remember that. but And eight of those were top fives. So, um, you know, you finished third in the Asian amateur, uh, third in the Australian men's stroke play, second in the men's match play, um, third in the men's stroke play championship in New Zealand. Mate, you were on fire that year. Unfortunately, didn't quite get over the line in that year particularly, but what a year. Yeah, no, it was, I remember like 
it's a long time ago when you're thinking back then and i remember just getting so frustrated because i just wasn't winning yeah yeah yeah. and um but i was i was getting close i I think that was the same year maybe eisenhower as well i think i finished third or fourth individual there and i think i was sort of about six fifth or sixth in the world when i just couldn't win and i remember like i blew I think it was that year or maybe the year before I blew the St. Andrews trophy. I was sort of leading by about three or something going, uh, uh, going right. into about the last four. Yeah. And, I think you um, finished six in 2011 here, but the St. Andrews Lynx trophy. Is yeah. Right? It might've been that year. And I was, I was actually leading it and um, I just had a pretty like St. Andrews, pretty tough finishing a few holes, sort of 16, 17. And I, and I got in one of the old pop bunkers and then I got in the, pop bunker on 17 as well and sort of I remember like thinking there yeah, I was sort of blew like a pretty good chance when I had a really good chance of winning that and um but yeah it was one of those years and um probably a year that I should have learned a lot more from and instead I probably got a bit frustrated from not winning and I sort of yeah probably which sort of led me down a path with a couple of coaches that wasn't that good but yeah I was right. a bit, I, looking back now, I learned a lot from it, but sure, I wish sure. at the time I'd probably learned a little bit more because I was really playing great golf and I was, it was, you know, the only thing that was costing me was I wasn't a very good putter and that's why I wasn't winning sort of thing. But um, yeah, I think instead of having some good people around me to sort of help me with that, I sort of, everyone was searching for something where it was, it wasn't a big fix. It was just something so simple that I just needed to get one, mm. you know, probably every round improved my stats by one putter you know sort of thing and that would have been the difference between winning and losing so well that's an amazing thing you say because obviously you're surrounded by supposedly the best uh around your country if you're if you're obviously number one and obviously you're in the state and and country teams and and things like that you'd think you'd have all the help you need yeah i think sometimes you get too much help yeah i think there's this uh i remember you know that year, just before, I'd been working with Kevin Kirk, a coach in America, who coaches sort of Jonathan Vegas, Patrick Reed, and I think Lexi as well now. And, and he was he was very good. And I think a lot of the things you look back now, he made so much sense. And I remember him talking about, you know, the guys when they first go out on the PGA Tour, how much he calls it noise. There's so much noise coming at them. And, you know, it's so easy to sort of get tied up and, you know, you're playing good golf and then everyone wants to sort of have an influence on you. And yes. um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, I still sort of was, I'd, I'd stopped working with Kevin, but we, it wasn't because of that. It was, I'd mo- I got a good chance to move to Melbourne sort of when I met you and yeah, sure. ended up because I wasn't going to be in America. He'd sort of organized for me to work with a coach there. And unfortunately that didn't work out, but sort of, I think sometimes, yeah, I just sort of got taken off a path that, yeah, there was there were too many people involved in it, really. Knowing yourself in your own game is huge. And I think when you're young, it's hard to understand that in your own self. And, and you're always looking for, for outside help to get better. And then obviously the older you get, you realize that it's all within you. And you've got to understand how you perform the best. And, and I've noticed that as a trend with two players I speak to, it's uh, when they're in a good place with their game is when they're understanding their own self and listening to their own sort of thoughts. And obviously that yeah. uh, um, comes from a lot of knowledge and information that, that you've taken in, that you've sort of circulated around your own brain and worked it out for yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think the one, if I had one bit of advice 
to say to people that were coming up and things like that. It's just, you're going to, you know, when you're 18, 19 and you want to be one of the best players in the world, you, you, you can over search. And then sometimes you'll find your coach at the time, you'll keep saying, well, he keeps telling me the same things. Well, those trends that you do, you're going to, you know, it's, it's things that you fall back on every time. That's in the perfect world that coach will probably tell you the same thing for your whole entire career. You'll get sick of hearing them, but that's your trait. You, you'll you go away and play for a few weeks and all of a sudden you come back and you're doing this thing that you know makes you swing bad or whatever it is. Yeah. But when you're 18, 19, you get sick of hearing that and you think, well, I'm not getting better, which you are. It's just those traits are going to be what you probably have to deal with for the rest of your life. And that's the tough thing, I think, is, you know, everyone wants to be perfect where you're not ever going to be perfect and say Tiger Woods, Adam Scott, they probably have the same traits that they have now than what they had when they were 19 years old. Yeah. So it's the um, trust, it's the trust you talked about between yourself and the coach. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then it's, and then when you get your coach and say your national body or people, you know, in your academy all with different thoughts and then it's who do you, who do you believe? And, yeah, unfortunately, I've sort of believed the wrong people at times. And um, yeah, and that's the tough thing when you're young is to try and work out. Everyone's trying to help. Everyone is doing their best and they are all trying to help. But unfortunately, some advice is good advice and some advice isn't. Yeah, exactly. And, um, absolutely. And, and what's yeah. the traits that you're talking about for you particularly to, to get your back? You say if you lose it a little bit, what's, what's your tendency? Um, just a few things. I alignment's huge for me. When yeah. I when I'm not aligning well, I get so reactive. Like I, I'd say I'm very natural ability in sport. Like I can play most sports quite well. So if my alignment's right, then I overreact. If I aim left, well, I, I never really aim left. I always end up just tendency to start aiming right and just right. sort of pulling it more and things like that, coming across it a bit more. But um, yeah, that for me, my stance, and then I've always, I've always flipped it just a tiny bit, sort of thing, and it's, and that's just those where a lot of coaches haven't minded that because I've got great hands, and I've always been able to sort of do that and get it back on target, and that's where say some people that have advised me that haven't had much natural ability, they don't like that. Yeah, sure. Where, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep improving that, but I've tried to sometimes I've eliminate that in my game and it's sent me so far down the opposite way sort of thing right right yeah. i think that's yeah. a bit of a justin rose tendency too he, he tends to have an open face and you know has those hands at the bottom so i think he's always tried to work on that with his coach as well but um yeah i mean hand-eye coordination is such a huge deal in the game isn't it mm. i mean if you're a little bit off and if you get the hand-eye coordination your rhythm up um you can you can tend to get the ball around Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's, um, and that's, I think sometimes people get so they, you know, I think some coaches that have been and played a lot, they, they get that and they get that. Well, that's fine to have days like that, but a lot of coaches that haven't been good players, they get so sort of caught up on the face has to be perfect, 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 perfect. Well, it doesn't, it has to be perfect for about this, this much sort of thing. Yeah. That's right. So, 
Oh, and the yeah. game is a game of imperfection, mate. So, um, you know, as as you mentioned, if you if you don't play a lot of golf, you don't understand that too much, and you get too caught up in the technique stuff. And um, I'm I'm a big performance guy, so I, I mean, I, I like the the mental approach to the game and and getting prepared mentally and and physically, obviously, um, and to go out there to perform your best. But to do that, you need to understand that the game isn't perfect, and you're going to get some bad breaks out there. Yeah, definitely. And that's, um, you, you know, you're so right. There's some good planning and some good preparation. And um, yeah, sometimes learning that sometimes the funnest days you have on the golf course. are I don't know, I love the challenge of golf more than anything. So like those days of when you're not quite perfect, still being out of shoot, you know, 66, 67 sort of thing, when you know that you you can't hit a shot. And sometimes I think that's a tough thing when you're young is actually admitting that you don't have a shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and saying, well, no, I actually can't hit that shot today. I've only got this one. Okay, and 50. When that flag's tucked in on the left wall, for me, I, I can't hit a draw today. Middle of the green is, is, is a good play here, sort of thing. And, and, yeah, just sometimes I think being honest with yourself. You're not, you're not yeah, you're not sort of uh, playing with no confidence. You're just playing within in yourself, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes when you warm up and hit it shit, it focuses you more when you're on the course. It's uh, it's an interesting thing, interesting dynamic, isn't it? Have you noticed that too? When you're warming up, and you're like, oh shit, I'm not hitting it great. Then you get out there and you start, you know, really focusing in and really picking your targets and, and executing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think sometimes like that, when you're not hitting it good on the range, then going to the first tee being realistic. Yeah. And then yeah. you you're not trying to hit the perfect tee shot off the first Well, You haven't hit a perfect tee shot on the range. So instead of trying to fly the bunkers at 260, that hits it into a bottleneck, maybe lay up short of it and hit your nine iron and sort of thing. And that's where I think you sort of course management and things like that. But then all of a sudden you haven't missed a a shot on the range. We'll grab driver and freaking try and start hot sort of thing where I think that's how I sort of adapt to it. Sort of some days I'm on the range, oh, something's not feeling right. Whether it's your body, whether you sleep weird, whether you just, you wake up and you're mentally not quite right. Well, sort of learning to play within that. And I think that's that's so important. Yeah. Well, it's your job. You've got to find a way to get the ball in the hole, don't you? I mean, you, you got, no, no, one's, no one cares but yourself and it's your job. So you got to find something, you know, you can't yeah, go in yeah. there, you know. Yeah, it's all about the attitude, isn't it? Yeah, and that's where it's different from, say, amateur golf to professional golf. Well, amateur golf, you can just go at it. It doesn't matter, really, if you miss the cut. You know, you're not making money anyway. You, you know, you're really an amateur. You need to be, you, you know, running top fives, top tens sort of thing and, and getting recognised. And, you know, if you're winning, well, then you are. You know, you people will sort of remember your name and things like that. But professional golf, if making one cut that year could be the difference between you keeping your card and losing your card. So some of those times when you're not feeling good, you've just got to grind it out sort of thing. And unfortunately, yeah, you might not, you're not, you got no chance of winning that week, but that could mean that, you know, that could be the difference between getting a European tour card and not getting a European card, say coming through Asia and things like that. So just having that grind and having that fight, I think it's pretty important. How did you find the transition between, obviously it would have been, pretty cool being you know the number one player in new zealand playing all these awesome golf courses these good amateur tournaments these best in the world you're getting looked after uh, spotlights on you and then yeah you next minute you're playing these small tournaments on that on the asian tour or wherever you are as a pro 
and you're by yourself and it's a completely different lifestyle, different um, um, experience. So talk me through how you went from sort of that sort of scenario into pro golf. How, did, how was the transition for you? Yeah, it was a tough one. I, uh, I struggled for a couple of years, chewed, chewed through a lot of money. Um, I think I'd do a lot of things different if I could go back. And unfortunately, I still see a lot of amateurs still making the same mistakes I've made. And yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people don't sort of, I don't know, they just don't want to hear what you have to say or yeah. or things like that. It's quite, I find it quite weird how they've still got such the same pathway and everything that there's been a lot of us guys go through and then you struggle for two years and then all of a sudden there's a, you come out of it and you're sort of a lot better. But yeah, I just think your amateur events, you play, you are, you're playing the best courses, you're, you're staying at the best places, you're eating the best food. All of a sudden you go up to Asia. I remember one of the events up in Asia, like there was nothing there to eat. We were, we were in the middle of nowhere. I think the first night, like four people got food poisoning. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And sounds like Asia. Yeah. 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 And you're, but you're playing maybe a third or fourth biggest tour in the world. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. And we were staying in the middle of nowhere. The next morning, there was like nothing to eat. It was like soup and chicken that just you didn't want to eat. And I remember that week, we ate, there was one McDonald's, like a five-minute walk, and we ended up eating McDonald's. Every, and that no one got sick after that. But there's been a few times up in Asia where that's really your only option, and you know that it's got, like no one really ever gets sick from McDonald's. And I don't mean that that's what you want to eat or anything no. like that, but it was such a change because I'd gone from eating perfectly and you have to have this perfect warm up and you have to eat perfect. You have to get your eight hours sleep and everything's got to go perfect. And then all of a sudden you're up in Asia, you're so far out of your comfort zone. You're eating food that you've never even seen before. Then all of a sudden you're eating McDonald's and everyone's told you for years how bad McDonald's is. And then, yeah, it was just, the language, just, no one speaks English. Well, hardly any English. Um, no. There's so much to, to work through, isn't there? As a young you've pro. Got to get on. You've got to get on this train and that you're going there. You can't afford to, you know, like summer weeks up there to do it how you were doing it as an amateur would cost you 10 grand. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's just not, you can't do that. It's just not feasible. You don't have the money and, and things like that. So that was probably the biggest thing that I... Um, and and just the way the courses were set up, I think was quite quite different. Um, it's harder, you, know, you mean? As, yeah, a lot harder. Yeah, a lot harder. Um, and just the differences in courses all the time. You know, one day, one one week you'll be playing really grainy greens that, and the grain the grain up in Asia is like grain that you've never seen before. Like it's crazy how how much of a difference each week can be. And and the speeds of the greens, some weeks where they'll be 12, maybe 13. Then the next week you're putting on greens that are seven on the stem. Well, it's a, it's a pretty lonely place too. People don't realize um, I've done a little bit of caddying for some guys as well over there trying to go for their tour card. And you look around, you go, it's just us two. Literally, you're in a country thousands of miles away. You've spent this much money to get here. All of a sudden, you've got 180 yards of this tuck pin. And, you, you know, you've got a few holes to go to make the cut. I mean, and you look around, there's no one supporting you. There's no one there. It's just yourself. And people don't understand. They see the peaks. They see the tires, the PGA Tours. But the, to get there, the road to get there is, is a lonely one and it's a tough one and it's a, it's a costly one. So 
people don't realize also Asia's, as you said, the third largest, I think, tour in the world. But most most of their tournaments are only two, three hundred thousand dollar price. You know, they're, they're not huge amounts of of money you're playing for unless you finish in the top three, four. You know, every week. Yeah, yeah. I think like Asia is still a great tour. Like it's just I, I've learned a lot up there, and I think it is a really good tour for people to go through. Mm. Um, there is a major difference from the good events to the small ones, sort of thing. Mm. But even it, I, even I think they're big ones. It's still a lot different to any amateur events that you played. You yeah. know, you, you, you go from amateur and you, you get everything looked after. Where When you're a pro, you've got to organise your own caddy. You've got to organise your <laughs> tea yeah. times. It's not much. And don't get me wrong, it's, it isn't anything. But just... Yeah, I know what you're saying. I don't think you get that transition when you're amateur. Like, and, and then it's working, finding a caddy that works for you and things like that. So, Well, do you think there's a... Do, do you think you should have been taught that a little bit more? Like, you know, when, when you're an amateur, do you think they should have maybe um, uh, prepared you a little bit better for that? Yeah, I think... Um, I think, yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's something that could be improved a lot. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, I think you still see guys making the same mistakes i've i made unfortunately and yeah it's um you know i've I've tried to reach out and and help as many people as i as i could sort of thing without stepping on toes as well so nice work now mate i want to get into the um new zealand open back in 2017 um now uh pretty cool event tied second unfortunately in that event great great result but i want to talk about because you had the lead after 54 holes so I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, how, how how did you feel uh, with that tournament result? Yeah, it was it was disappointing. Like I would have loved to to win that one. Um, yeah, like I was I was starting to play some good golf for that time. I sort of still felt like I was a, a fair way away from sort of being back to where I wanted to after sort of a few injuries and things like that. And but yeah, it was good. Like. Um, I don't know if unlucky is the right word. I feel like I didn't actually sort of play as bad as I sort of had a, a I don't know, a couple of times where I thought I'd hit perfect shot and it was around my home course. And yeah, all of a sudden they weren't in the perfect position. It was sort of like I hadn't, and that was the thing I sort of sat back at the end of the day and sort of thought, well, yeah, okay, I, I did lose a lead and, and I unfortunately, I think I was leading by two or three. But, um, yeah, so after 54, I think, yeah, one or two shot lead and amazing scoring. I mean, I think you were 19 under or 20 under, I think. And um, Brad Candy was 19 under, I think, going into the last round. So did you feel like it turned into more of a match play sort of scenario or, or did you feel like that's just the way it happened? Um, more probably, like, there, I never really thought of it playing as a match play because I knew there was a few guys behind. But right. the the weather changed a lot that day. like. Right. It was really windy. It was cold, and yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I probably got a little bit more shocked by the way they'd set the course up a little bit. Sort right. of like you got to a couple of tee shots, and the tees were so far forward, which like we don't even put, like. It would be like playing members comp off the white tees where they'd put a couple of them, um, and probably just wasn't prepared enough for a couple of them. And that's right. where I mean, like. I sort of hit a couple of drives, which I thought were perfect, which, mm. and you can't get angry at yourself. You you picked where you wanted to hit it. And all of a sudden I ended up on a rock and I had to take an unplayable off rocks. And I think that happened twice on the front nine. And um, yeah, and I suppose 
yeah, like I, I I didn't play sort of match play with him. I just, yeah, I, I just felt like there was a couple of times where I thought, oh, that's perfect. And you get down there and you had to take an unplayable. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, um, I mean, you rallied late. I mean, you, you made a couple of birdies late and then you're able to make the plough. Did you have a, a putt to win it or something on the 18th or how did, how did yeah. that play? Yeah, I had a part, I mean, I had probably about 40 feet on the last. Um, yeah, and it only just missed. But yeah, it was it was pretty cool. You know, like I had family, I had the whole Millbrook members, I had half of Arrowtown. And yeah, I made a pretty big charge late. I think I 33 of the last five or something to get into the playoff. Um, yeah, so you, you definitely felt like everyone wanted you to win out of, out of like all the players there so um yeah it was it was pretty special you can be frustrated that you didn't get the win but i still had a lot of good shots i felt like coming down the stretch and unfortunately sometimes you just it doesn't pan out really and then obviously you learned from that because you obviously won the pga in the next well the next year so you're able to win that event so do you, did you go back into the the learnings of the last sort of few tournaments where you finished high and had a chance to win, did you sort of go back into that sort of mind space? Yeah, definitely. It's, um, you sort of, yeah, I suppose a few times like that, you sort of learn the first time you beat yourself up for not getting it done. And then a couple of times after that, where you sort of can, you, you can only do what you can control sort of thing. Um, and I think Fiji, I was pretty happy with how like feet, yeah, I didn't get the win and I, I had a really good chance to win a Fiji as well, but, I had a bad third round, which cost me. And that was my short game. That really let me down there. I just, my chipping and putting, just, you know, it's a windy place and you're not going to always hit the green. But to then come back the fourth day and play really solid, I think I shot five or six under in the last round to sort of only just fall short. I think it was two shots short. Yeah, yeah, only two shots back. And yeah, as you said, you and you shot 70, I think you shot 77 in the third round. So, I mean, to only finish two shots. But I mean, you obviously played three amazing rounds. So, and that place can blow. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, so it's, um, no, I, I suppose, you know, after looking, you know, and going over a lot of tournaments, I sort of always try and find the positive pick out yeah. a couple of things that I can do better, but sort of not spend too much time, you know, going over what was bad. You know, That's just, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like to sit down with a caddy afterwards after we've gone close and haven't quite got there and just, you know, get his opinion on, okay, maybe where we made a couple of bad calls and, and things like that. But um, yeah, yeah, there's not much difference, just... is there? Deci- deci- decision-making, uh, the difference between, you know, 71 and a 65, it's not too much, right? A little bit of no. luck, a couple of parts, decisions, you know. Is... Yeah, and that's that's for me. Those those times which I haven't got the win is it's come down to, to putting and short game for me. Like it's the putting's huge, and I and I think that's what I learned in America so much is those guys over there they just they putt it amazing, and in the way that they that they sort of their mindset and everything over there. It's it's not sort of like New Zealand were very bad. Say you might go out and you shoot 65 and you have 24 putts. Yeah. And people go, oh man, he got lucky today. He had 24 putts. No wonder he shot 65. We're in the States. It's so much different, man. He was on fire. He was putting amazing. He had 24 putts. Like he never looked like missing. He, mm. you know, and it's sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't think of it as luck. They think, yeah, he's just a good putter and that's what he's going to always do. 
Right, right. And, um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, talk us through the little bit of time over there because you went to Q School over there, I think, in 2017, right? You uh, had a crack there? Yeah, I spent... So it must have been... I went to college over there for a little bit in 2010. Then I... Yeah obviously came to Melbourne and then I went back there and I had status on the Latin American tour. Yeah. Um, and I played my first year. I spent quite, I spent probably eight months in America based out of a sort of place called the Woodlands in Houston. So I, yeah, it was, it was cool. I, I practiced a bit with Jonathan Vegas and he was, he was a really good guy. And, you know, Patrick Reed was there and there was quite a few, yeah, there must've been sort of 15 tour players, Bobby Gates, Bronson Magoon, who's now playing the PGA Tour, and we like played so much with them, and um, yeah, and so I suppose those years you sort of learnt a lot, and it was just so different their golf to how we play golf down here. Like, is it less perfect? Is that what you mean? Oh, so less perfect. They all they care about is just get it in. Like, yeah, and they those guys are some of the most amazing putters, and they've got some of the worst strokes, like. <laughs> but they can putt so good or they yeah. swing wise. I think I can't remember his name. It wasn't I don't think it was Roland Thatcher. I remember playing with a guy in the States and we played with Jonathan Vegas. I was good friends with his um Julio I'm good friends with his brother. Yeah. And so we were playing one day and I never forget this guy. He I can't remember his name actually, but he won on the next week he won on the PGA tour. And I thought he I thought he was one of um Jonathan's friends like he was he was you could tell he could play golf but right, I right. never thought Didn't the guy would have won could. on the PGA Tour he <laughs> yeah, putted yeah. it amazingly right and I remember watching the PGA Tour the next week and he rolls in a putt to win on the PGA Tour and I'm like oh my god like but he putted incredible like and that I remember like that it's all it comes down to to me is if you can get the putter rolling you're talking there putting it in a lot more from six to 10 feet or you're talking 10 to 15 feet. Like what's the difference there? You think? Oh, everything. Everything. Just, yeah. They just putt. I don't know what it is. Like those guys, like everyone talks about Jonathan, how like on the PJ tour, he's not that good a putter. I've played with him. He's, he putts it good. Like he's right. Right. Sort of thing. And, and that's, so I suppose I remember playing, I played with Ernie Els one time and, he to me like okay inside three feet he he didn't look good over the putter but he, outside of three feet he was still to this day one of the best distance he holds so many putts like that day and I remember thinking like everyone talks about how bad a putter he was and that day he putted amazing like I think he missed one small one which yeah like, to, to me inside of three feet he didn't look good he didn't look right good putter, but outside of that he holds so many putts. And I think those guys, it's just a mindset. They just get used to holding those parts. And yeah. So you got out of that trip more than anything was 10 to 15 feet. I need to work on that, that sort of. Yeah. Range. Just, just all putting eh? and just, yeah. <laughs> just, just, they, they just get up and down so much. And that's from everything. You play these mini tours and I was playing um, the Adams tour. So it was sort of around Texas and around the South sort of thing. And um, just, yeah, like those guys, they didn't care about their swings. Okay. They, they had one shot a lot of the time and that's all they had. And there's a lot of those guys now that have had years on the PGA tour or, or very good players on the web or yeah. And um, yeah, it's just the name of the game of golf and that you got to get the 
the ball in the hole and the least amount of strokes. And I think sometimes that's easily forgotten. To me, like the difference between the guys on the Australian tour and the guys on the PGA tour, ball striking wise, there's probably not much. Okay, yeah, you, yeah, top guns there is. Yeah. Top maybe 20 in the world. Outside of that, those, to me, those guys just, they're just, the difference is they hold one to two more putts around than what the guys on the Aussie tour hold. I remember uh, Aussie Open played one year with Jordan Spieth in the final round and I think we were maybe eight shots off the lead. So the yeah. first hole he rolled in, no, he horseshoed about a 14 footer. Then the yeah. next hole he holed like at least a 40 footer. And then he hit a wedge into about 10, 15, oh, it would have been about 10 feet, breaking left to right. And it just died on the low side. And we're walking to the next tee and he's like, for God's sakes, Jordan, if you want to win today, you've got to have 24 putts or less. And then he turns... <laughs> turns to his caddy and said to him every putt I hit with the wrong speed today I owe you 100 bucks and that wow was his mindset wee. that under 24 putts was he could he could win oh he he's still good at the moment obviously he's struggling with his ball strike I think compared to what he was but yeah anything outside 10 feet he was just unbelievable wasn't he? he's just unbelievable from that range and the mindset yeah, I can yeah his mindset was different to anyone I'd ever seen putting like he um yeah, he just, everything was for speed for him. Like, speed was so perfect. But yeah. it'd be like a 40-footer with breaking three different ways and he'd miss it by, like, half a cup. And Trying to hold everything. Up. Trying to hold yeah, everything. He'd, he'd blow up about how they misread it. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> Poor caddy. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so um, and that was interesting too, eight shots back. And so would you have that, have you learned from that mindset? Would you, are you in that same sort of mindset where eight shots back, I, I can win this, you know? Yeah, like I was quite surprised, you know, like it was, you know, and it was an easy day. But yeah, just that was his mindset. And it was quite different to say all the sports psychs you see and everything. Like he was, everything was sort of outcome focused. Like he was so determined on winning. And like the process was still there, but I don't know. It was quite different to say a sports like where they they don't want you thinking about that sort of stuff. Right. They just right. want you to do the process where he was obviously thinking, well, I've got a still a good chance to win this. Yeah, he found the fire in wanting to win, you know. Yeah, I guess. yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So um but no, it's yeah, I think yeah, I don't know, maybe eight shots up I yeah, I you know, and and that's you know, where you've got to improve and you've got to, you know, that was a day that I definitely learned a lot sort of thing. It was, um, you know, I ball striking wise, I felt like I hit it better than him. I think at the time he was number one or number two in the world. Good guy. So it was pretty, yeah, really good guy. Yeah, great guy. Um, and yeah, I think he was, yeah, couldn't have been a nicer guy really to, to play with and chatted away. I Luckily, I knew because I'd spent a lot of time in Texas, I actually knew a couple of his very good friends. And oh, yeah. I think Kelly Craft had, had it, obviously saw that I was playing with him that day and sort of reached out and said, oh, I know Benny, right here. And so, yeah, we jumped on the first tee and he was like, oh, you know, Kelly. Yeah, so it, was, it wasn't too bad, sort of like. Yeah, had a bit had of common. Of mm. Yeah. Who's the best player you've played with then? I mean, obviously, number one in the world, you can't really go past speed. But who, who, who do you find the, the best player you've played with or the best? golfer um oh that's a good question i'd say jordan be hands down the best chipper putter i've ever played with yeah yeah um yeah no one's probably come close to his chipping and putting 
Like yeah. That, I don't know if that's no one really Crazy, probably talks man. about his chipping as much as what mm. they do as putting. But yeah, he was, you know, I played with Rami and that. Rami's, don't get me wrong, Rami is amazing short mm. game. Like, mm. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't say Jordan was a lot better than him, but I don't know. He just, he, maybe because his putting was so good that he mm. just, he got mm. up and down from some places that you thought were impossible and he, he didn't even make it look hard. Like it was, you were thinking, yeah, yeah. Oh. I remember one time I was like, man, if he gets in, this inside 10 feet, like it's amazing. And he hit it to two feet and walked up and tapped it in. And he was like, oh, yeah, I would have. Yeah. It was just, just different like that. But um, it's got to give you confidence, mate. When you, when you can do that from anywhere and you've got, you know, 160 to the flag, 180 or you're approaching the green and you know, you'll get up and down if you miss, it's got to have, some sort of oh, confidence, yeah. you know. He could, you just start going at everything. Yeah, absolutely. And he, and he, and he did, like, he did go at a lot of stuff. Mm, but mm, um, mm. ball striking-wise, um, Ernie's irons were good. You could see mm. him. He probably didn't drive it as good as what I thought he would, but Ernie's irons, he was, he was very good. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's a hard question, yeah. I think, because um, I mean, on your day too, I mean, you're as good as anyone in the world, and and that's and that's the thing with golf. It's um, you know, you you can do it. It's just putting it together over four rounds and being just on top of everyone else. I mean, to win a tournament, you're not 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 many people win by five, ten shots. It's always one playoff, so you're only you're only this much better, aren't you? So on that week, so I mean, I think it's yeah. a hard question to actually ask someone, to be honest. And yeah, I think, yeah, actually thinking about it now, like Jonathan Vegas, I've played a few times with him. When he's on, he's yeah, ball striking wise. Like those guys have just got the sound, like there's a mm. sound to it, you know. And, yeah, and yeah, he's he's definitely up there. Adam Scott's got that same sound. I've, I'll never forget, like, I've never played with him, but he'd he's by far the, the most impressive I've seen, yeah, like on the range. I remember warming up and he's right next to me, and it was just the sound every time and you're like, oh, he's, he's in that good. Yeah. Yeah. The repetitive yeah, think- nature of it, isn't it? Um, sorry to cut you off there. The, I remember watching the shark actually, Greg Norman, I think it was, it's one of the presents cut when I was really young. I think it, I can't remember the year, but he was at Royal Melbourne hitting driver and yeah. I'll never forget it, mate. He, he hit driver. I reckon I watched 20 and they would have all bounced within uh, maybe a three meter squared spot. And the ball flight yeah. was the same, sound the same. I was just like, oh, that is just a different level. Like, it's just, yeah, yeah. it's just crazy. Yeah, and that's exactly, I remember the same thing. Adam Scott was having these drivers and he was calling them to his caddy and just saying, okay, like starting it here, finishing there. And it was just like, pew, perfect. <laughs> and doing the opposite. And it was both ways, high, low. Like it was, and you were like, yeah, this guy's pretty impressive. Yeah, nice, mate. Well, thanks for sharing that. that that's awesome. Um, uh, I've got actually uh, a fan question. Uh, my wife, Libby, actually <laughs> wanted to know what's in your golf bag, mate. She wants to know what, you, what you're running with at the moment in the bag. Um, at the moment, I've got... I'll just run in the... the old, I'm actually running... Still got the old Titleist stones. I haven't actually got the new ones yet. But, right. Um, yeah, so now I just run the blades. I've, I've blades. Uh, recently changed running three wedges now. So I've... Uh, yep. Or four wedges, I mean. Pitching right. wedge, 51, then a 55 and a 60. So, right. um, yeah, and I've been loving that, actually. I um, I haven't ever played that before. But I was just finding up in Asia, I just, 
my my stats just were showing like my wedge play was really letting me down. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, yeah, definitely my strengths, normally my iron play. Sure. So I, I felt like I could, you know, either really step on a four iron or play a hybrid easy. So I sort of mix out my three iron and my hybrid depending right. on the courses. So yeah, yeah that's sort of the two changes I make. Um, yeah, and then just tight list got the tightest uh scotty cameron sort of been got a center shaft in there at the moment so nice um yeah no it's sort of tight everything really so so with the four wedges uh is that more around the greens or is that for fuller shots you just want to sort of bring the gap in a little bit more with your fuller wedge shots yeah i just found with the really grainy grass up there not not playing you know we don't have any of that here in new zealand i just Mm. found i was a lot better if i could hit a full shot into yep. it so yeah like at uh, before that i was running pitching wedge um a 50 like a 53 and then a 58 but i just found there was yeah i just i was just stuffing up too many easy wedge shots because it was you were trying to be too dinky with it right when right. you're hitting into the grain and i just yeah so Wanted mainly for that on. yeah and i and i actually played a 60 degree wedge um because I, I was, I broke mine. I had to hit a shot off a cart path with a 58, and it messed up the whole face. And then I was up there, and I, all I could get my hands on was a 60. And I had two weeks up there, and my chipping was actually a lot better. And I found it so much easier with a 60 degree than the 58. It doesn't sound like much, but I just felt more, more comfortable. So that was to me the big, the big difference to go to four wedges because I just didn't. Yeah, there was too much bigger gap going from 50, 53 to sixty. So, yeah, it was a, it was a bit mix of a few things, but just a bit more of a comfort level more than anything. Yeah, nice one, mate. So, are you are you hard on yourself these days as you used to be? Or yeah, you... yeah, no, I'm still pretty pretty <laughs> tough. Yeah, 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 but, right. um, yeah. Just the personality. Yeah. yeah, I think so. You know, it's I think you know that's why I love golf because of the challenge sort of thing and um yeah I, I think you know i have seen you know you've worked with people and, and things like that and i think that's sort of i don't know what motivates me a lot of the time you know is is trying to be as good as you can be and yeah yeah i think yeah i don't think sometimes being tough on yourself a bad thing it's it brings the expectation up and it and i think that can help you in a lot of ways Talk me through uh, your preparation in terms of your nutrition and, and leading up to a tournament, like a week out. I want to know a week out what you do. Do you uh, train less, uh, prepare more uh, in other ways? Talk, talk me through a, a tournament week and how you prepare. Um, yeah, so if I'm still in Queenstown and I'm heading up to Asia, then I'll sort of try and start adjusting to the time difference there. So all of a sudden, like I'll try yeah. and go to bed a bit later. So the first night... You know, like normally here, I'm I'm in bed by ten o'clock, sort of thing, and yeah. So then I just try and keep pushing it out, and normally try and match the time difference. So it might mean that I stay up till midnight, and then I try and get up at nine o'clock in the morning here, and that's probably one of the keys, the main thing I do. So sort of when I get up there, I'm I can still sleep. I don't know, I need my sleep, so it's sort of quite important to me. Um, and then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I sort of I tone back on normally i'm lucky here at millbrook i can jump in a cart and play in as many holes as i want so normally leading up to going away i sort of probably 
I, I don't do as much technical work. I've got, say, putting-wise, I'll have a couple of drills. Full swing-wise, I'll have a couple of drills. I, I go for, I pretty much halve all the drills I'm doing into a couple of key ones. And then I try and spend very little time on them, but just use them as sort of like a calibration each day. And then, and then, yeah, I'm lucky here. There's a lot of guys that are retired and there's a few young, young golders here. And I just normally try and get out and especially the, the back from like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I try and just play 18 holes a day with those boys. And yeah. And just sort of, I don't know. I love my hunting. I make sure I get out for a hunt before I go away and scratch that itch. And then, yeah. So um, now, yeah, that, that'd be the one thing I do. I sort of, yeah, I just sort of, I simplify it. I have a couple of sits down with the coach, make sure that we're really happy with a couple of things that we've got doing, but we're sort of processing through and, and set some goals with him. And yeah, yep. and yeah we, we, we sort of change our drills. We have a few, we go to a few more performance drills. So I had to finish, I have to hold this putt to, you know, to finish, I have to chip in three times or whatever it might be. But yeah, sort of go a lot more to those to try and just get sharper. So yeah, you know, for sure. You know, when you get out there, you can be more game orientated and um, less focus on the swing and a little bit more yeah. ball in the hole type scenario. Yeah, obviously yeah. that's the game, isn't it? So yeah, I think that's key for people listening. Uh, if if even if you're a week to week golfer, just realize that when you're playing the game, don't try and search for something in your swing. You just um, find a feel, find a rhythm, and go out there and get the ball around. Yeah, definitely. And that's, I think, you know, it's it's easy to sort of get caught up on your swing and it's not perfect. And yeah, yeah and just trying to find those games which you enjoy playing, which are still, you know, giving you an outcome at the end. Well, mate, I really appreciate your time. I had a great chat with you. I loved having a chat with you. So, and great to catch up. And uh, I wish you well with your, your hip and your recovery. And uh, obviously when you get back out there up in Asia this year and for the Australasian tour, at the end of this year so i'll be looking out for you any shout outs uh to your sponsors or how do we follow you just sort of instagram mainly um ben campbell 09 and then um yeah no i'm just very thankful for sort of the people you know I've, I've had a couple of very big injuries and you know i've been very lucky with the sponsors i've got sort of the davies family here which is the the milford track and and um they they have a company here with good ultimate hikes and you know they've got a few things here with the ski fields and and they've been, um, you know, massive supporters of me. They've always, uh, you know, no matter, even if I'm, when I'm injured, sort of always reaching out. And, um, yeah, like I couldn't have done it without them. And then also the, uh, the Edwards family as well. So he's, uh, Hamish is sort of, was one of the founders of Zero and the accounting software. And, yeah, like I've, I've been lucky to meet those two families that have that have really helped me in these tough times. And it's, you know it's important to have those people, you know, cause you know, everyone wants to help you when you're playing well. It's the, when you're not, when things aren't going well, that those people that are always there making sure that, yeah, you know, you've got enough money to, to pay for everything and that, you know, that, and that you're happy and, and those people have been, been awesome to me. So, you know, Millbrook's Millbrook down here as well. So no, and that's a, the exciting thing coming up, you know, trying to do a little bit more with them and, you know, in these tough times, try and, you know, hopefully they do open up the borders between Australia and, and New Zealand and people can come here and play golf in the, in the, um, this sort of coming summer and around Christmas time. And that's so, yeah, try and do a bit of work with, with those people and try and get some people here and, 
you know, if the golf's not going, then I'll sort of try and do some playing play packages and, and things like that coming up. So yeah, no, it's just very lucky to have a, a great people, great base here in Queenstown. And I've never been over there, mate. Can you believe it? So um, yeah. No, you Make have sure. to come over. There's sort of four or five <laughs> great golf courses here and there's plenty mm. to do. And yeah, no, it's, I think that's the cool thing here. You know, golf's getting bigger and there's, there's things for everything here. There's vineyards, there's walks, there's, you know, every activity under the sun you can do. It's sort of mm. adventure activity. And, um, you know, I think it's just a great place to bring the family and everyone can go do different things. So uh, it's sort of, it's a, it's a great place to live. Nice, mate. Nice, mate. Well, thanks again, mate, and all the best to you for this year, and uh, we'll look out and follow your progress. Awesome. No, great to see you and catch up, and, yeah, hopefully uh, get out for a game of golf soon. Sounds good, Benny. Cheers, mate.